24 minutes. Do you reckon I can preach in 24 minutes? If Anita was up here, do you think she could preach in 24 minutes? Oh, okay, okay, all right, couple, so I have to go late, is that what you're saying? Okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how we go, all right, so we're talking about Jesus, we're going through the Gospel of John, and this has been great, I'm really enjoying it, and we got halfway through chapter 7 last time I was speaking, I was a bit unwell last week, how good was church last week with Pastor Jeremy away? How good was it? <laughs> I watched online and it was so cool, uh, anyway. I'm here, so you've got to put up with me today, and uh, that's all cool. So let's just sort of recap. Um, uh, we're talking about Jesus the divider, uh, because his message divided the crowds. People saw, thought one thing, other people thought another thing. There was great uh, division. Sound familiar? Yeah. Kind of like today, right, uh, in the world we live in. So let's do a recap. So Jesus, at the start of chapter 7, uh, is offered some unwanted advice by his half-brothers, who wanted him to make a grand entrance into the big feast. Do you remember we talked about the Feast of the Tabernacles? Uh, and so they wanted him to make a big, woohoo, it's Jesus, here he is. Uh, son of man, Messiah, he's your man. Uh, but of course, um, Jesus had other ideas and he stuck with his own plan of making a quiet entry because he, it wasn't his time yet. And so he didn't want to make a big... Um, that's not the mic, is it? Is that the coffee machine? Okay, I'm like, is that hissing as well? Anyway, carry on. So he didn't want to make a big deal. People online at home are going, what is going on in that place today? We're all good. It's okay. Uh, so uh, even without making a big entry, Jesus was the talk of the town. Everyone's talking about him, his miracles, his many claims of being the son of man, his knowledge of scripture without even studying. And we talked about that. Ian will remember that because I picked on Ian. Like Ian would wish that he could learn about spatial science without having to do all the hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of study that he's had to do and is still doing. Uh, but Jesus just knew the scriptures. You know why? Because he had access, direct access to the author of the book. Uh, and so he was, he was fed the information. So wouldn't you love that in an exam, Ian? Uh, anyway, that would probably be illegal or something, I'm sure. Anyway, the town was challenged by the spirit of familiarity. They all started saying, well, we know this guy. We know who he is. And it's something we've got to be careful of, not to have that spirit of familiarity. If you've been a Christian a long time, it's easy to just start to make everything feel familiar because like, well, I've been, I've been there, I've done that, I've seen the big miracle, I know Jesus and, da, 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 and downplay it because you've been there, done that. But let's not be that. Let's be like that little flicker of a flame that <laughs> stoked the flame that happened that first day you gave your life to Jesus. Remember what that felt like and live that way. So we finished last time I was sharing where Jesus gets in the last word. How many of you like getting in the last word? Everybody should have their hands up. You're all liars. You all like getting in the last word. Okay. He told the crowd he was talking to that he wouldn't always be with them. And they didn't understand what that meant. Soon he would go back to be with God and they wouldn't be able to find him. Whereas they thought he was going to go on a trip to, to Greece or some other place where they couldn't get to. But that's not what he was talking about. The crowd didn't understand what this meant. And they thought Jesus was just going on some holiday somewhere, some trip where they couldn't uh, be, but he was meaning that he was on a journey to his own death and that he wouldn't be physically with them forever. But we know the 
end of the story, don't we, where he uh, conquers sin and death, rises from the dead, and he's with us always by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, that's where we left off last time. Let's continue. John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. So, it says, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Is anybody thirsty here today? Everyone's hands up should be up again. We are thirsty for more of Jesus. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. He's talking of the things to come, that the Holy Spirit would come, streams of living water. In other words, he's the great thirst quencher. There's no other drink that satisfies. I mean, I know Coke with no sugar is great, but it just doesn't cut it when it comes to the streams of living water that flow from the very heartbeat of Jesus into our lives. So let's talk about this Feast of Tabernacles just for a moment. On the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles, there's a priest in some pretty interesting gear, not not that I wear, I'm in jeans, but that's all right. Uh, But he reads the book of Zechariah, chapter 14, verse 8, that says, In that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem. And so for seven days the priests lead a procession from the pool of Siloam. Is that how you say it? Siloam. I knew the Hebrew person in here would be able to fix that. Um, Siloam, through the water gate to the temple. One priest carried water from the pool in a golden pitcher, and once um, there... They circled the altar, and the priest with the pitcher poured the water in a basin at the side of the altar. This water offering by the priests helped the Israelites remember how God provided them water uh, to their ancestors during their desert wanderings. So it was an acknowledgement of God's provision at that time. The people wave palm branches, and they sing psalms, and, and on the seventh day, they circle the altar seven times, a few sevens. Uh, This ceremony was more than a time of praying for rain so that they'd have good crops. It was more than that. Bless you. (laughs) Bless you. (laughs) That was intense. Well done. Uh, So it was more than crying out for rain for their good uh, crops. Uh, It also illustrated the prediction in Zechariah 14 and Ezekiel 47 of living water flowing from the temple. So during the last day of the celebration, Jesus gets up. And uh, he shouted that he was the source of a steady stream of living water that would quench their spiritual thirst. Nothing happens by accident in the Bible. It's God's timing. It's no coincidence that on the seventh day when they do that action, that Jesus gets up and says this. And in doing so, he gives new meaning to the celebration, pointing to the Holy Spirit who is yet to come. Just as water quenches our physical thirst, so the Spirit satisfies people's inner thirst for God. That's what it does. Water also seeds, um, it also causes seeds and cuttings, if you're a gardener, to grow and produce fruit. So water's essential. That's why we're praising God for the rain that we've had, because crops don't happen without water. So too, the Spirit produces spiritual fruit in our lives, and we know it, the love, joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, and self-control. 
for such there is no law. We're singing this song at Kids Club, aren't we? And, uh, you know, you, you would know the first part. I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. In my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I've got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart today. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. And I'm so happy, a happy chappy. <laughs> I've got the love of Jesus in my... I do that at Kids Club and it has the same reaction. They have a bit of a laugh. But then they do this other verse that's like a mouthful. I don't know if I can do it. I've got the wonderful love of my blessed Redeemer right down in the depths of my heart. Where? Down in the depths of my heart. Where? Down in the... I've got the wonderful love of my blessed Redeemer right down in the depths of my heart. Where? Oh, too many words. They do it way faster and they get it out. Anyway, that was a bit of an aside. So Jesus announces his coming and, and, and it was the beginning of God's promised kingdom. Jesus is coming and announcing this new promised kingdom, a time of forgiveness and right relationship with the Father, with that fruit of the Spirit bubbling out of us because of the streams of living water that come from the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus invited the whole congregation, not to sing that song like I just did, but, but he invited the whole congregation of Israel to come and drink of the living water, just as he previously extended a similar invitation, if you remember, to the woman at the well. That's what he said to her. She was the first. To come to Jesus and drink is to believe in him as your saviour and source for all life and eternal life. That's what it means to come and drink. The bubbling inner spring and the thundering flow of living water are references to the Holy Spirit and his ministry of indwelling all who believe. And so that's what it means to come and drink. That's why I say, are we thirsty? We should always be thirsty because we should always want to be filled by the Holy Spirit and uh, learn more about who Jesus is. So let's keep going. Verses 40 to 44 in John chapter 7. Therefore... Many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem, where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Now some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. So who is this man? This is the question. This is the division. Everyone thinks he's a prophet. He's the Christ. He's some dude from Galilee. They don't agree. They all bicker and, and argue. And it sounds like the world today, still arguing over who Jesus is. You know, Jesus has a real knack of dividing people. And I know we talk about unity in the body of Christ. That's because hopefully we've had a revelation of who Jesus is. And that's where the unity comes from. The division is out there where people are debating and arguing and, and saying who they believe Jesus is. You know, some of the people in that day thought he was a prophet. Some thought he was Messiah, while others said he couldn't possibly be because he's from Galilee. They argued over where the Messiah would come from, and Jesus obviously didn't qualify because the people thought he's come from Nazareth uh, in Galilee. But Jesus had grown up there, obviously, but we know he was born in Bethlehem. 
And so we know the end of the story. We know what happened. But the people at the time debated over it and argued and said, well, he's meant to come from Bethlehem. This guy's from Galilee, so he couldn't possibly be the saviour. So some people wanted to grab him in a headlock and give him a noogie. No, drag him away to his death. But no one did. This is cool. This is cool. You have... um, divine protection during the storms of life. I'm going to just take a little aside, okay? How many times now, and I've lost count, where Jesus has said, I didn't do this because it wasn't my time yet, or I didn't do that, make that decision, or go to that place because it wasn't my time yet. I want to talk to you very quickly, sort of deviate from the book of John just for a moment, although it's very much the message that we've just read. No one laid a hand on him because it wasn't his time yet. No one touched him because it wasn't his time yet. God gets you through the storms of life. And so there was a big storm developing around Jesus at this time. And there was talk of people wanting to take him out because they couldn't agree on who he was. But they didn't. That's because God has divine authority in the midst of storms. And I just felt to deviate like this today. And I only added this late yesterday when I was just praying and preparing for today. But there's people in this place, there's people online that are in the middle of a challenging storm, a a serious situation, and you're worried because it's getting tough. But in the same way that God extended protection to Jesus until the time was right, he will extend that same protection, guidance, peace in your world to you. We've just got to acknowledge Jesus and let him in and trust him and know that there is peace in the midst of our storm. I haven't got this scripture up there, but jot it down if you want to. We're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 27, and it's the account of Paul and all the troubles that Paul went through. Are you ready for this? This is Paul speaking. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one, Praise the Lord for the minus one. That's 39 lashes. Uh, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and I've been naked. This is Paul going through all those things. Do you think he would have a right to pack it in and go, blow this, I'm done? Do you think he's had a hard life? Come on, he's had a very challenging life. Yet in the book of 2 Timothy, write this reference down, 4 verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Hallelujah. That someone could go through that experience, near death, naked, lashes, hungry, in prison, treated like a criminal, falsely most of the time. And yet his confession is, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Oh, Lord, that that could be our confession in the midst of our storms, that that we could boldly confess because our Lord is our protector in the midst of our storm. 
God uses our suffering and trials to mould us and shape us. But here's three things in Paul's life, very quickly, because I've only got, what, 12 minutes left. Very quickly, from Paul's life, this is why he had divine protection from God. And this is what you need to do to have that same protection in your life. And it's very simple. Firstly, you need to acknowledge that God is with you. God is with you. No matter how challenging your situation is, no matter how dark the place is, no matter what is coming against you, our God is greater. Our God is stronger. We prayed together in unity over so many things today because our God is the name above every name. And so he's above what's penetrating Afghanistan right now. He's above the disaster and, and, and disappointment and everything that's happening in Haiti. He's above all the challenges because of this pandemic that's happening he is bigger and greater than any of these things and our trust should be in the Lord God is with us you know he was with Paul right before one of his shipwrecks Paul said last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me he acknowledged that God was with him this doesn't just go for Paul but God is with each and every one of us if only we would acknowledge that he is with us Here's the second thing. First one was that God is with us. The second one is that if we've got to be doing God's will. Paul was doing God's will. Paul didn't let all these trials stop him because he was following God's plan for his life. Shortly before he was shipwrecked and bitten by a viper, you might have read that story, God had told him to go to Rome. So that was God's will for him. Then he gets bitten by a viper, by a snake. And so in your mind, you'd go, oh, well, I'm done for. Because back in those days, it's not just like, a, take me to the nearest ambulance. But Paul was doing the will of God. And he knew that he would get to Rome because that's what God's will was. So let me encourage you. If you get uh, stopped by a brick wall, if something there's a blockage and it's stopping you from progressing in what God has for you, just keep marching. Just keep persevering. In the will of God. Why? Because if you are persevering in His will, if He's promised something to you, it will come to pass. You just might be taking a little detour because for whatever reason. But keep walking in the purposes of God. Acknowledge that He's with you. Keep walking according to the will of God in your life. Don't be the person that sits at home and says, well, I'm waiting for the writing in the clouds and I'm waiting for the audible voice to tell me that this is what I'm meant to do. No, 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 no. God's revealed to you his purpose for your life. Walk in it. Walk in it until it comes to pass. Don't be stagnant. And here's the last one. Paul believed God. Just believe God. In the middle of the storm that was going to wreck the ship he was on, Paul proclaimed, so keep up your courage, men. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Believe in the promises of God. Believe in who he is. Look how much Paul trusted God in the midst of a storm. You haven't been on a ship like those ships. It's not like a cruise ship. <laughs> it's nothing like that. The Bible has a lot to tell us about how God will use our suffering and trials to do an incredible work in our life and to prepare us for heaven. So if we can believe him like Paul did, we'll begin to see the work of God outworking in our lives take those three things if that's all you've heard today acknowledge that God is with you acknowledge the will of God for your life and walk in it and believe God and when the storms come you will not be shaken because you'll be like a man who built his house on solid rock 
not on the sinking sand. You'll stand firm in the midst of trials and challenges. All right, that was for free. I won't even charge you extra for that. So John chapter 7, verses 45 to 49. We're almost at the end of chapter 7. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. See, the officers had a revelation. (laughs) The Pharisees are too busy following their laws to realize who he is. So the officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? So they're saying the officers are deceived now. Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? But the crowd that does not know the law is accursed. They are thinking in circles. And let me explain to you what that means. See, the guards left Jesus alone. They're smart guards. <laughs> they left Jesus alone, but then they had to endure the Pharisees. And can you, you know, the Pharisees are like, my kids are a bit older now, but perhaps when they were younger, although you would relate to this, Mom, isn't that annoying? Like first thing in the morning. And then what's followed with that? Mom, she's like, yes, darling, come. <laughs> it's like, no, you come here. Seriously. No, anyway, that's family bicker, family bickering issue at home. But I'd imagine the Pharisees sounded a bit like that. A bit whiny, a bit, you know, why haven't you got him? We told you to go and get him. Anyway, the guards were smart enough to know that publicly arresting Jesus would probably start a riot and would probably bring out the Roman army. They didn't want that kind of attention. So the authorities' reluctance to squash Jesus' ministry caused even more doubt in the minds of common people. So on one hand, if Jesus really was the troublemaker that the Pharisees said he was, why didn't they just arrest him? On the other hand, since the religious leaders seemed divided in their opinions of of Jesus, then maybe Jesus was who he said he was. And maybe Jesus deserved a closer look. So the Pharisees thinking about Jesus was circular and closed-minded. And this is why. Since none of them believed Jesus was Messiah, because they'd already decided that, then he couldn't be. The end. If the Pharisees don't believe it, then that's it. Done. Not even going to think about it. That's why it's closed-minded thinking. If they feel a certain way, that's what it is. It is what it is. And they're not open to change. If any of these people in the crowd wanted to believe, it was because they didn't know the law. That's what they thought. And they were obviously too ignorant to make the right decision. That's how Pharisees think. All right. Last passage for today. Nicodemus comes back. We talked about him a little while ago in his meeting with Jesus. Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our Lord judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? They didn't like it. See, Nicodemus was referring to the law that actually was in existence, that people deserve a fair hearing. But the Pharisees were that wound up and angry that their response was saying that he's from Galilee as well. You know, search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. And everyone went to his own house. Here's something to ponder. Nicodemus speaks up, and I love it. (laughs) Nicodemus stood for Jesus before his fellow Pharisees. And according to Deuteronomy 1 verse 16, an accused person gets a hearing before being judged. That's what the law is. So these teachers of the law were ignoring the law. Because they were angry. They were put out. They didn't like who Jesus was. And so they just were 
flustered. That's probably what they were. And that's why they were ignoring the law in this case. Nicodemus raised the question of a legal technicality and no doubt hoping that the other Pharisees would say, oh, you're right. We forgot about that. Well, we'll have to give the man a fair hearing then. That's what he was hoping for. For Nicodemus to risk his reputation, to speak out the way he did for Jesus, is a good indication, I believe, that he was a a, a true believer in Jesus. I believe that that encounter that we've seen on The Chosen and we've talked about earlier in the book of John and, and, and where Jesus talks about being born again, something happened in Nicodemus. The Bible doesn't directly say it, but because he's there sticking up for him and trying to find a way for him to have a fair hearing... I am confident to say that he was a believer of Jesus. The Pharisees rejected Nicodemus, surprise, and even ridiculed him. To be called a Galilean was like being called stupid. It was like saying you're from, I better be careful here. Anyone from Logan? Anyone from Nambour? (laughs) Anyone from, uh, I mean, not today, Nambour 20 years ago. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe Gimpy, I don't know. <laughs> I'm from the Sunshine Coast, so it's all that kind of area. <laughs> but it would be like saying, you know, oh, you're a bogan from that place, you know. Anyway, in the Pharisees' minds, only dumb Galileans believe this crazy man from Galilee. I'm going to get emails now. Oh, I'm from Logan. What are you talking about? Without reaching a final decision about Jesus, everyone decides to go home because they're not getting anywhere. So let's wrap up this chapter. I'm going to come to a close. I'm going to show a video and we're going to finish and have um, coffee soon. So this whole chapter, right at the start, Jesus' brothers who didn't believe in him tried to get him to show himself publicly at the Feast of Tabernacles, but not just show himself. They want a big fanfare and all of that. But he didn't go until the time was right according to God's timetable. And then Jesus claimed his teaching was from God and challenged the leader's claims that they were following the law. Uh, when they accused him of breaking it. And then, as the people divided over Jesus' teaching, he told them he would be going back to God, which they didn't understand because they thought he was going to a place they couldn't get to, which I guess is kind of true in the sense of while they're living here, you can't get to Jesus in heaven until we die and have eternal life and yada yada. So, Jesus offering living water to spiritually thirsty people when they believed in him, and then Jesus' teaching divided the people. Some believed, others wanted to kill him. What a wonderful world for Jesus to find himself in at this point in John chapter 7. Have a look at the screen as I come to a close. It began with darkness. Pitch black. Formless and empty. Into this darkness... God created light, created entire galaxies, countless wonders beyond imagination. And to behold his glory, he breathed life into his children. He loved them with a passion burning brighter than the sun. And for a time, he made his dwelling with them in a beautiful, perfect world. But then, this love was torn apart, fractured by a crushing abyss so wide that it could never be crossed. An immense chasm created by our sin, 
our pride, our disobedience. And so the darkness returned, and with it came death, wars, plagues, and exile. But our father refused to leave his children in the darkness. So once again, he sent his light to dwell on earth, to become Emmanuel, God with us, to teach us, to heal us, and save us from the terrible wages of sin. But where he preached peace, he was met with hostility. Where he preached love, hatred burned against him. Where he preached forgiveness, his enemies cried out for execution. He was arrested, tortured, and sentenced to death as a criminal. With nails in his hands, Jesus bore the unfathomable weight of our sin and cleansed us from all unrighteousness. They assigned him a grave with the wicked and sealed his tomb with a stone. Darkness reigned over the land once more as hope seemed to vanish. But on the third day, his light pierced the shadows. His power shook the earth. The Son of God rose, declaring victory over death and throwing wide the gates of heaven. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. His love still calls to us. His grace still covers us. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Christ. close with an invitation as we always do at Vineyard and that is for people to accept Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. So would you bow your heads and uh, if you're online join us in this moment, don't tune out. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus. We couldn't make it on our own and in our own strength. Forgiveness of sin can only be obtained through Jesus. We can't meet God's standard in our own strength. We make mistakes, we do the wrong thing. We say things, we lie, we, we, we cheat, we, whatever we do, uh, we can't fix that in our own strength. And God knew that and that's why he sent Jesus and we just saw such a great portrayal of the story of Christ and, and that he has come to be the saviour of the world. So if you're in this place and you need that forgiveness, you need that uh, opportunity at the newness 
of life. I want to encourage you because Romans 10.9 simply says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if you believe what we just saw on the screen, you will be saved. And so I want to invite you right now in this moment, if that's you, and you want to say, Pastor Jeremy, I want to be included in this prayer right now. Would you just lift up your hand, show me your hand, and we'll pray with you today for Jesus to come. Yep, I see that hand. That's great. People online, I can't see your hands, but you can lift your hand. God sees your heart in this moment. Let's pray this prayer together. Those that lifted their hands, those that maybe wanted to and didn't, that's okay. Let's all pray this prayer together. Say it after me. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you came and that you died for me so that I could be made free. I now confess with my mouth that you are my Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. I'm a Christian. I'm saved all because of you and all that you've done. And so I thank you for what you've done. And I choose to live my life for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now give him a praise and thank God because he's good. Amen. God is good. <laughs> you enjoy that? Church was good today. It's good to have Jacqueline back. Welcome back, Jacqueline. Give her a hand. Welcome back. Yeah. Way. You went away for too long. You're not allowed to go away that long again. It's banned. Anyway, let's have coffee. Let's have fellowship. Bless you online. Have a good rest of your weekend. And uh, get ready for next Sunday. Church here. And then Clifton. We're excited about that. Be blessed.